scripture reading will be reading from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Some people are blessed with a wonderful faith, an ability not to see but believe. I'm not really sure where I fit in on that sometimes. Maybe... You're the same as me. Maybe you're one of those lucky ones who can believe and not see. Maybe you're one who needs to see, and belief is tough. I don't know. But while resurrection is designed to, uh, at least the stories of them, are designed to fill us with hope and faith, for some they have uh, been a source of question. See, if you read the gospel accounts, they vary somewhat from gospel to gospel in perspective. It looks like Mark, the earliest gospel of the four, uh, ends before there's a resurrection story recorded. The best textual evidence is that the resurrection story in Mark is added after the fact. It's added later, after the book has already been published or the letter already circulated. And so for some that raises questions. In one account, you might have uh, Peter alone running to the tomb upon the news of hearing that Jesus is resurrected. And in another account, you'll hear of Peter running with another disciple, the one Jesus loved. And you hear of their dynamic going into that place. John is timid and remains outside the tomb, and Peter charges on in and looks and sees. But you know... If you've ever been in an auto accident, it's amazing the stories people can come up with. Right? It's all sometimes a place of position or perspective, isn't it? And we all tend to want to color it in terms of our own preferences and priorities. Clearly, if we've been hit, we would like to make sure that we can formulate the story in as clear a way as possible that precludes us from being at fault and still be honest. Is that, is that a fair assessment of the human predicament here? And in some cases, we're tempted to go way beyond honest, aren't we? We think we can uh, get away with that. Well, you have a story, an event, and four different people are recording it with entirely different purposes many times, years after the fact. So the fact that there is so much agreement is really a wonderful thing. 
But wherever you land in terms of reading the resurrection stories, I'm probably talking about some slight differences you may not have even caught in reading the stories. I don't know. may not be important to you. I don't know. But resurrection stories, for me, help keep alive the integrity of what we celebrated last weekend in Easter with Christ risen from the tomb. Scholars have put together timelines of what, have ha- what has happened And that's always really interesting. But before I get to the textual part, I'd like to just go over some of the things uh, based on an article from the the Nazarene Church about resurrection and resurrection stories. The biblical account uh, is supplemented in the Gospels in Acts, chapter 4, verse 10, where it says, Be it known unto all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you whole. 1 Corinthians 6.4 And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. Galatians 1.1 Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And 1 Peter 1.21, Who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Paul lays it out pretty clear. He wants us to understand that if the resurrection isn't real, we are to be pitied above all. We have no hope. But it is real. And he names these references as he, 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 he speaks this truth to the Corinthians in his letter to the Galatians in Peter. And of course, Luke mentions it in Acts. There are lots of other sources outside of the New Testament found in the early church fathers in the writings of Ignatius, if you've heard of some of these early church fathers, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, and Tertullian. And in many cases, the resurrection is cited numerous times. The resurrection only appears that I know of once in extra-biblical records, non-Christian records, and is said to have been a highly controversial passage in Josephus' writings, the Jewish historian. But when we think about whether the resurrection is something that is vital and real and alive and historical and something that we can base faith on, here are some of the things that might help us. First of all, there are multiple eyewitness accounts. Different people, different places, different times, different happenings, all seeing Jesus, in some cases touching him and eating with him and always talking with him. There are eyewitnesses who were willing to suffer and die for their testimonies, which should end the chance for any false motives. Because think about it, would you spread a lie and then be willing to die for that lie under torture? Not me. The Gospels state that the early witnesses to the empty tomb and the risen Christ were women. Now this is interesting because it's an inconvenient truth. In a culture that didn't do much with women and didn't favor women and didn't see women as credible witnesses, to have women as the first witnesses to Christ's resurrection is a testimony to the truth of the gospel account. 
If you wanted to stage it, if you wanted to make it look as good as you could make it look, you would have two men. That would stand up in the court of the Sanhedrin. For it took two male witnesses in the court of the Sanhedrin to qualify as testimony that was convincing. And the, testi the testament says that it was women who first saw Jesus, who first spoke. And it's interesting because when they speak, there are those who doubt in the story. We'll, we'll come to that. Who could find a whole group of people willing to concoct a wild lie, be tortured and kill for it, killed for it, and have none of them change their story even to death? I think we have also we have evidence in the life of Christ himself and his disciples. There's a certain morality and integrity there, an honesty there in the teachings of Jesus. And we find two radical changes in the disciples themselves and later also in the conversion of Paul of Tarsus. I think that's what Mark's gospel is about. We've talked about this before. It's the conversion of the apostles, the change of perspective from one view to the other, from Jesus as a teacher to Jesus as the Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. In the early Christian church, the evolution of that church happened incredibly fast. The church was was born almost overnight, and it was added to daily and rapidly. And that rapid growth from people from all over, and in Jerusalem specifically, hiding in fear for what the authorities were going to say or do, speaks of the truth of the resurrection. The Bible itself declares that the resurrection had over 500 witnesses, many of whom were alive at the time of the writing of the New Testament and would have been able to contradict anything said against it. And the Jewish scriptures contain many statements that Christians have interpreted as saying that God would take a body, die for sins, and rise again. Another reason that we have faith or cause to rejoice and believe is that the New Testament was written relatively early after Christ's death. And that Jesus fulfills the Jewish prophecy. In fact, the fact that he fulfills all of them, it could be viewed as a miracle of its own. And then let's not forget the power of our own experience. Because while we have not seen, we have seen. For anyone today who claims to have seen the risen Lord or know the risen Lord is making a testimony. Not to someone who's died and is dead, but to someone who's risen and is alive. For God is the God of the living, not the dead. Now, there are points on the other side, and I don't want to spend a lot of time with these, but here they are. Gospels plainly state that when Christ appeared to the disciples, he wasn't recognized. Mary didn't recognize him initially. The road to Emmaus, the two disciples didn't recognize him. When he appeared in the room, they were afraid that he was a ghost. The second point might be that we want to believe sometimes just about anything. And people have been willing to die for hoaxes and lies in the past. The gospel accounts of the resurrection are to some people not consistent and not able to be reconciled. 
Some people don't think anything should be supernaturalized. There are no miracles. There are no angels. There are no heavenly beings. There can be no empty tomb. And a few other points of little concern. For those of us of faith, the different perspectives of the gospel isn't a problem. For those of us of faith, none of these are a problem. But when we really think about what it means to live resurrection life, that when that rubber hits the road, as was said earlier in the Sabbath school lesson on healing, H-E-A-L, Elder Rothler was describing healing processes. He was describing faith in that. But you get to this, this point, too, where it goes beyond belief. There's experience, and there's evidence. And Christ commands the disciples to do what he was doing, and sometimes we don't see the fruits of that in the church today, in our lives today. And so sometimes I wonder if we see the fruits of resurrection life. But let's turn to our passage in John chapter 20. Didymus is known to us as Thomas, and more specifically as who Thomas? Doubting Thomas. We love to give Thomas a bad time, don't we? This is a great resurrection story. We love to give Thomas a bad time because he is the one who doubts. If you aren't doubting some things in life, you're not thinking. Can I just be blunt about that? You're not processing much of anything if you're not doubting some things in life. And if you haven't stopped to think about the credibility of these stories in the scripture, you may not be engaging your full capacities either. You see, as humans with rational perspectives and limited experience, as I pointed out a couple Christmases ago, we know how babies are born, don't we? Don't we have to enter a different kind of mystery to understand the virgin birth? And wouldn't we have to understand the resurrection the same way from something outside of our day-to-day experience? I've never gone to do a memorial service, never gone to do a funeral, never been at a graveside when a body has come out of a tomb. I've never heard of that happening except Jesus and the reports of those that were raised by him at that time. And of course, Jude records that Moses was resurrected, doesn't he? In his gospel, his story. So here we have Thomas, and we're hard on Thomas. We like to be hard on Thomas. It makes us feel good because it distances us from Thomas. That's Thomas, the doubting Thomas. This is me, the faithful and true Greg. That's Thomas, the doubting Thomas. This is me, the man who questions not. It puts me in such a beautiful light (laughs) to call him Doubting Thomas. But the fact of the matter is that he was not alone. In Luke, 
In fact, in most of the Gospels, we have it recorded that the news of Jesus' resurrection and the empty tomb is passed on to the disciples or brought to the upper room, and it records plainly in the scriptures, but some doubted, it says. Some did not believe. That makes sense to me. And so here Thomas is, he's missed the big event. Crucifixion was Friday. Jesus slept in the tomb Saturday. Sunday was resurrection morning. We have multiple resurrection appearances on that Sunday. And that evening, in fact, Jesus appears to the 11 disciples. Ten in this case. Because Thomas is not there. Judas has thrown himself off a cliff. And they haven't yet elected a 12th disciple to take the place of Judas. So, ten disciples are in the upper room with their cohorts and friends and the women who attended Jesus and went with the disciples and this band of believers is gathered there in fear. And Jesus shows up. He just appears. It's found in the passage just prior to the one we read this morning. It's found in John 20 starting in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he says. After he he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you as the Father sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, They are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now this is getting a little bit weird. You're in a room, doors are closed, they're locked, and someone shows up and says, Peace be with you. Who might this be if you have not believed? Who might this be if if you're doubting? And that first Sunday evening, after Jesus had appeared to Mary, after those happenings, that Sunday evening, they're terrified. Crucifixion was three days earlier. They're gathered and locked in a room, and Jesus just shows up. Now, you can imagine being Thomas. I don't know why he wasn't there. Maybe he was really scared and had left the area. Maybe he had said, well, that's the end of the story. I'm out of here and had gone on his way. Maybe, who knows where Thomas was. He wasn't with the 10 when Jesus appeared to them that Sunday night. And a week later, he is with them when Jesus appears again. But in the meantime, he has said, I won't believe this unless I can put my fingers in the nail hands and in where his side was pierced. How dreadful to get back to a place where your friends are and say and hear the news oh we saw Jesus and you missed it can you imagine being Thomas he is in a bad place right there he's missed the appearance of the Lord 
And he doesn't, he doesn't know what to think. Are they deluded? Have they seen a ghost? What, what, what could give them this report, this story? But he knows what it'll take to convince him. And Jesus shows up again and he says, Peace be with you. And he turns his attention to the doubters. Touch me. Go ahead. I'm real. Feel these scars. Go ahead. There's still an indentation over here. Right here. Put your hand there. Can you imagine? Thomas believes. And like others, he gives a testimony, my Lord and my God. He believes. And Jesus says, it's wonderful that you believe. Blessed are you if you have not seen and you believe. And that's where we sit. We've only seen through the eyes of writers who wrote so long ago. We've only seen in the experiences we've had with the risen Christ. We've not had flesh and blood stand before us. The kind of flesh and blood that can show up in a room that is locked, that can transcend physical time and space and yet still be palpable, can still be conversed with. This is no ghost. This is a glorified body, a body we don't understand, a spiritual body. This is a body that is physical, for Jesus eats broiled fish with them after the resurrection by the seaside. And they touch him, but he shows up. So I'm wondering this Sabbath day, what would it feel like, what would it look like to have Jesus show up with all of our doubts, all of our fears, and all of our questions, with all of the things we don't understand about life, about history, about transcendent realities, with all of the things we wonder about the future and the past, with the words that we've memorized and read, what would it be like to have Jesus show up and say, peace be with you? See, it is me. Put your finger in my hands and in my side. Jesus did, it said in verse 30, many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I said last week that resurrection life was the priority. That if we could understand that it was the end game and not death itself, not the process by which we might die, not the sufferings that lead to death, not the declarations that we make in life, but that resurrection itself 
was the end game, that life eternal lived with God was where the difference would be made. If we believe that and struggle with resurrection, we're not alone. Even the early disciples struggled. Even the early disciples doubted. Even those who walked with him and talked with him and were taught by him in person and had studied the Old Testament scriptures thoroughly, for that was their scriptures, even these folks had questions. But Jesus says, blessed are you if you haven't seen and believe. And John records that this is all written that we might come to have faith. Faith in the one who lives and the one who saves and the one who promises that resurrection life will indeed be ours. And I think that makes this a really great resurrection story. There are more. We might hit a few of them next week. But I want us as a congregation to begin to think through what it means to live a resurrection life. What are the real implications, not of living faith per se, or declaration of faith, or the idea that we might have a time of trouble ahead, or that the apocalypse might come and be difficult, or cause us to suffer or be martyred or to die. Not to think of sin and pain and struggle as the end game, but resurrection life. If we can get a hold of that, what would it mean for our lives today? If we can hear Jesus' words, peace be with you. Blessed are you who believe and have not seen. May that be us, each of us. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for these wonderful stories. Recordings, actually, perspectives of events that took place so long ago in salvation history that you entered our pain and our struggle, our humanity, that you labored with it for many years, that out of it you ministered to people and loved them by the grace of the Father and the grace within yourself. And you gave yourself willingly as a lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, that through your death we might live. 2,000 years later, Lord, we struggle sometimes with what that means. We read these stories and we sing the songs and we're inspired in our hearts. But there are some who doubt. And we would this morning find assurance in the word that declares that we're not alone. That after your resurrection, there were those who doubted too. And yet you answered their questions. And you blessed them. And you bless all of us who believe having not seen. And so, Lord, may we experience resurrection, life, as it's lived out now in anticipation of what is to come as we look forward to the coming of Jesus and life everlasting with you in the kingdom made new. These things we pray in Jesus' name.